Good evening and welcome to Dog Talk. I'm Dan Camilleri. And I'm Laura McKillop. We'd like to start by thanking Enduro for their ongoing support in bringing you our live weekly Q&A. Tonight we're fortunate enough to be speaking with Rob Hodgman from FL Working Dogs. Rob will be picking who he thinks has asked the best question of the night and they will win a bag of Enduro Pine food for Working Dogs with real kangaroo meat. How you going, Rob? Good, Dan, good. Uh, good to hear, mate. Good to hear with... Uh, that, that's, right, that's rolled off the tongue a few times now. We don't even have to look at what we read anymore for that no. information, do we? <laughs> no, it's good. It's good after 86 of them. You should yeah. be getting used to it by now. That's it. So, uh, mate, how, how was your day, Rob? Was it, didn't get up to too much today, you said? A nice relaxing one? Yeah, yeah, not too bad. I sort of got a bit sick down at the futurity, so um, I don't recover like I used to when I was younger. So, yeah, lazed around, let, let my wife do all the work, and yeah, it was a good day. Some would say too much time at the long yard. Yeah. Well, my help did, I think. <laughs> and then they then they insisted on coming in the van for coffee of a morning. So, anyway. Well, from some of the weather I saw up there, it was very cold. So, I don't blame them for wanting the coffee in, in under the heater of the morning. Yeah, no, it's just the uh, the only way you can keep the help happy, I think, is to let them party of a night nowadays. It's pretty thankless <laughs> task to open horses. <laughs> oh, don't blame them. That's why we go to dogs these days. They're easier to get around than horses, I can tell you that. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> and you mentioned the futurity there, mate. Do you want to touch on that? What, what was that? Uh, it's a cutting horse futurity. So basically, um, you know, that's what I've done most of my life to earn a living. And, uh, you know, it's been really good to me. But uh, my son, youngest son's taken it over and, and my eldest son gives him a hand. So I've I, I sort of hoped I could retire and um, uh, do more with the dogs because the way the way it was, the only time I could get to go trial and and uh, do things with my dogs was at the end of the cutting season. So I'd sort of do you know three, maybe four trials a year if I was lucky. And um, yeah, they like we said, dogs are easier to get around. I've, I've always kind of had them, you know, uh, just to get the cattle in and. Um, I guess been through a lot of the phases that a lot of young people went through, you know, always wanted harder dogs. And then I sort of harder, rougher dogs. And then I got them and then decided that, yeah, I, it's not what I wanted and had to readjust and go again. So, you know, it's a constant learning, learning process, I think. And um, yeah, working out what you want to get your job done and, and to handle your stock the best way you can. Uh, absolutely. Mate, um, for the people that don't know Rob Hodgman, do you want to tell us a little bit about yourself or where you grew up and just a bit, bit around you? Yeah, I, I guess, um, well, I went to boarding school from grade three. I was born in West Australia, actually, and um, and went went over to school at uh, TSS there through to the yeah my senior year. So, you know, in those days at boarding school, it was pretty much your life. You didn't get much time off. Um, I don't know, I think we've got four Sundays and one weekend a term to go home. Oh, wow. Uh, and uh, for, oh, I can't remember the time frame now, but my parents were still in WA when I went to school here and they were, uh, we had a sheep and cattle property there and they were basically selling selling up, but they sent they didn't want to have to relocate me, so they sent me over early to boarding school and, yeah, I can't remember if it was a year or more or, before they got a chance to come over. So, yeah, it, uh, it's sort of, I guess you grow up different when when that happens. You, you get fairly independent and um, you, uh, 
yeah, it's it's good and bad, I guess. You you know, you probably don't. You're not as uh, attached to family after you do that. But you but yeah, you, you grow up uh, pretty quick and realise that there's one person to rely on, and that's pretty much yourself. So yeah, from there I uh, basically left school and went over to the states and uh, trained rain cow horses, and uh, then uh, come home and set up. Uh, horse training business so I sort of trained most mostly in the western side of things trained sort of everything and then ended up being lucky enough to to make a living just training cutting horses and and there's there's so many crossovers training a cutting horse to to working a dog um it's uh yeah it's more similar say working a cutting horse it's it's working a dog's closer to that than any other equine sport because you know, with a cutting horse, you've got to have your hand down, and you've got to you've got to rely on that animal's instincts. So there's a fair bit in the breeding. You've got to be able to help him, but if you're doing everything for him, when things get quick, you're too slow. So yeah. it's balancing, I guess, having them doing stuff for themselves, and you being able to control it. It's it's getting that balance right, and and I think that's pretty much the same as working a dog. Um, yeah, so. Yeah, that's basically it. I got married and uh, we were in Queensland and um, then we moved down here to Glen Innes. And, uh, you know, it's been been a really good spot for us, uh, especially for the cutting horse side of things. It gets a little cold and stuff, but uh, that means not so many people want to drop in and annoy you. <laughs> so, yeah, no, it's been good. So how, how long did you spend in the States? Oh, I spent just over two years the first stint. Probably would have stayed there and and um, you know and lived there, I guess. Except you know my visa expired and and the I've been over a few times now. And the, the next few times I probably wouldn't have lived there. It's um, I guess you get used to you know the way our country is. It's good for a visit, but uh, yeah, the the I, I still think you know this is the best country and it's for me anyway. And the lifestyle suited me and. The cutting's big over there and very professional, but I always say it's Queen Street cowboy stuff. You know, they got big pickups, they got fancy ranches and all that, but it's probably just not country enough for me. Um, it's, yeah. it's it's got so professional and yeah, I uh, yeah I, I still yeah I still think this is a good country. My sister still lives; she lives over in uh, Washington State still. So um, yeah, we still have a few contacts and stuff over there. So did she go across with the horses too? Just no, no, she, she took a different route. <laughs> she is a fair bit smarter than me and uh, <laughs> she ended up uh, actually going, working in England for a private uh, a PI company and she, um, uh, uh, anyway, she ended up ended up over there and um, doing summer camps because she was a country girl, could shoot and ride and do everything and uh, she met her husband there. So, yeah, yeah she... Wow. she she stayed over there and um, well, they ran a trail riding thing for a while and uh, she's now back, I've been in for a good while back in the, I, I can't exactly tell you what she does, but she does a lot to do with their school system over there. Yeah, radio. Yeah. And, and what was it about the cutting horses that attracted you? The, I guess, the challenge. The, like I'd rode a lot of other disciplines where you had to control everything and it was, it was, you had to be talented to do that. Maybe you had to be a little more um, diligent 
than than I'm used to being. I, I get bored easy, and um, the the cutting horses, the there's so much in the breeding of the animal. Like it doesn't matter how good a trainer you are, if you don't have the animal, you can't you can't make it work. So it's it's a two pronged thing. As much as you've got to work on your own ability, you've also got to work on developing or getting access to the right genetics. Otherwise, you're not going to succeed. So um, and it, it's they're pretty much like working a dog when it's good. It's it's amazing how they can read a cow. You know the great horses I've, I've been lucky enough to ride. You know probably a handful of them, maybe over the years, and they're that they do things that you can't believe. And, you know, I've had maybe one, two dogs that I probably didn't appreciate at the time that could do that. And, you know, you look back now and and it was, yeah, to me it was wasted that, like, I could have done more with or I could have realised how much better those animals were. But at the time I just thought it was the norm. And then when you go down the track and try to get another one, you realise how lucky you were to have the first one. Do you, would you say like a good cutting horse is sort of similar to like a good dog in a lot of ways, that natural instinct, like they know where they should be on that beast and everything, or is that trained? No, it's exactly the same. I think the dogs, um, the good horses and the good dogs seem to be able to, to work anything and and they've got a, there's a power there, but there's an acceptance too by the stock. And it's that interaction between the two that I still haven't worked out exactly what that is. You know, I used to think it was it was to do with distance and, um, you know, knowing how tight to be on them, how far away. But, you know, it's, it's kind of like <clears throat> it's like some people, they've just got that personality where they people like them. And, and I think, you know, the good dogs, even when the stock are tough, they they have that ability to win them over, not just with force. There's a strength of character there, but there's something else that goes on that, uh, yeah, I find hard. You know, the, the really special horses I, I've had, um, and, and I probably, I don't like, I know we're talking about dogs, but I probably, most of my experience has probably been through the horses. Um, those special horses, they do things that, that I still can't figure out to this yeah. day. You know, I, you know, I just still can't figure out why they can do it better than some of the other ones I've had. You know, yeah. and sometimes like the, the Futurity, which is a cutting horse Futurity, when we show them down there, that's got to be the first time they've ever been shown in an event. That's one of the requirements. So it's their first go. And, you know, going down there trying to work out have you got a good one or haven't you got a good, like a special one, I should say, you don't know till you start to show them. Yeah. You can train them all you like at home. And, and I think dogs are the same, you know, the, the, you, you start them pups and they start good. <clears throat> and I've often had a saying where, um, you know, I believe all the great ones I've had started well, just some of them didn't finish like I thought they were going to. And uh, that's the same with the horses. You know, they, the great ones just put their hand up. And, you know, it's not always the, the powerful one. That, you know, it, it, there's something else that's there. And 
that keeps me interested because I'm still trying to figure that out and probably got a little too old for the horses now. So, but I can continue learning about that through dogs. Absolutely. And you mentioned that you came back down to where you are now at Glen Innes. And obviously you've got a couple of handy ponies around and you mentioned your cattle. So did, did the dogs come in? Um, how did the dogs fall in, in there? Well, the a lot of my dogs, I don't, uh, I, I do a lot of wiener breaking, I guess you would say. And some of the wieners are broke, but most of the cattle, we work a young cattle, if you like. Um, and <clears throat> to get those, uh, um cattle you know people lend you those cattle to work your horses on and that's a big investment like yeah. the you know it goes up and down but there's a lot of money involved in the cattle that come through this place to train our horses and i've always been you know i <clears throat> remember talking to a fellow once and he's telling me about this good deal he got you know he says i get this i get this i get this and and i said so what does the other people oh they don't get much at all and I said, well, that's not a good deal. A good deal is where both parties get something good. And so I've always, you know, tried to look after people's cattle, um, treat them like my own, handle them like my own. And, and that's where the dogs come in because I don't believe the process of training a cutting horse sends the cattle that I have here back as good as they would go back when I worked dogs on it. Like they go back, you know, and, and the way I, you know, <clears throat> I try not to kill the lead off. You know, when I had harder dogs, I believe they killed the lead too much because you always, when you work stock, you always need that one or two head to lead your stock somewhere. If you haven't got control of those hard dogs and they're hammering the lead, cattle will mill and they won't lead out. And to me, I've always wanted the cattle to, to go somewhere, but at a steady rate. Now, I know there's times when you've got to pull cattle up hard, but you don't don't overwork them to the point where they don't want to lead out somewhere. Because you'll have trouble putting them in the race. You'll have trouble loading them on a truck. You'll have trouble putting them into the next paddock. So <clears throat> to me, the dogs are still more effective than a horse for doing that, you know, for controlling that lead. If you're going to do that, you're going to need a lot of riders to... To, to get that same effect. And, um, you know, I, I basically, when the cattle come here, you know, I like to be responsible for bringing them in, putting them in the yards, taking them away. And then, you know, obviously when they're in the yard, we, you know, we settle them or Tyler settles them and then works his horses on them. And, um, you know, that, that process to me, I want to send those, those stock, even if they come good, I want to try to send them home better. And it's not that the guys I'll just have a drink here. You're right. <clears throat> yeah, it's <clears throat> it's not that the guys that have these cattle are bad stockmen. You know, most of the owners around here are really, really good. It's the fact that I've got a chance to handle their cattle more than they do because they're busy doing other things. So when they come here, those young cattle come here, you know, I I you know, we don't usually bring them up every day, but we might bring them up every second day. There's no way they can afford that time with their operation to do that with those young cattle. So, you know, I, and I believe, you know, that I've been through phases, getting better, getting worse with, with dogs and trying to, you know, sort out exactly what I want. And that might change again, you know, like 
I'm doing a bit more with sheep now and that's a learning process too, you know, rather than just having trainer sheep. Um, you know, you start working ewes and lambs and 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 stuff and it's a whole new process. Basically, you know, I try to get the same thing, even <clears throat> even loading sheep up a race, you know, I'm careful not to have a dog go so hard that they just jam them into the into the race. You know, like there's no way 10 sheep can get through a little gap like that all at once. So, again, for me, it's about flow, you know, and keeping your flow consistent and not having any any blocks. And uh, that's probably, it'll let me down a little bit, but I, I don't. Well, I don't like much heel in my dogs and, and trialling. I sometimes get caught out with that. Um, I often think that that if stock are not flowing into the gateway and you've just got a dog behind heeling the cattle that aren't going anywhere, they've got nowhere to go if the front ones don't move. Yeah. So I'd still much, much prefer trying to get the leaders to lead out and, and move on and, and then the rest will follow pretty much is, is, is how it goes. And if, you know, I know there's time when you do need heel, but, you know, I always think there's nothing's perfect and there's a downside to heel and it'll teach your cattle to kick. You get in the yards and start touching them and, and, and you've had a lot of dogs biting them behind, they'll kick. So, you know, and I'm not saying I'm right. That's just what I've discovered with what I'm doing at the moment. Yeah. So you have to roll your cattle out for your horses, just like a trainer mob, like just they get a bit quiet and then... Oh, yeah, and then opposite, yeah, opposite probably to the dogs. With the horses, you settle them, but you want fresh cattle. Once they've been worked a bit, they're not so good to train your horses on. Whereas the dogs, probably young dogs, are yeah. better trained on quiet cattle, obviously not cattle that are taking them on. Yeah, so absolutely. Yeah, so it's... Uh, Basically, they're sort of the opposite. Obviously, to finish your dog off, I, I still believe you need real work situations and, um, you know, not not just trainer stock. Um, and, you know, that, that's to finish them. But young dogs, you know, especially young dogs on cattle and especially nowadays where we're wanting them to go so young, like through most of my time, I didn't even, I didn't have sheep and I wouldn't even break them in until they were over 12 months old on stock i just take them around and live with them and they get to know me and and that because i didn't want to get them hurt and um you know so they'd be over 12 months and then they could you know they were fully athletic and they could get out of the way and learn learn their job but now you know we're all getting these little pups going so young and um you know that's another thing i say that you know just because a pup wants to show instinct as a little pup on stock doesn't mean that he's ready to train. Yeah. You know, like he um, sometimes he shows instinct, but his mind and his body isn't ready to train. So, yeah. you know, I say if a pup starts early, which is great, it encourages you to feed him and look after him for another four or five months before, you know, like you're keen then. But if you, I've seen dogs ruined because they start young and people keep, think that they're going to just keep them going. And and they'll a they either stay in that round pen too long on trainer sheep, and the dog starts to get bolder, or the pup does, and yep. there's no there's no pressure and point of balance because the the trainer sheep are working off you, 
as much as they're working off the dog. So I don't mind training sheep to start a dog, but I reckon you can stay on training sheep way too long. Dogs will start going in tight just because the stock of the you know, whereas I try to get out of the round pen and off train a stock as soon as I can. I don't want wild stock, but I want stock that if that pup or young dog goes in too hard, the stock scatter and he's got to go figure out how to gather them up again or he'll learn to, to feel those pressure spots and get control uh, of where the pressure is. And, yep. and that will help you even pull them off balance a bit, you know, without you doing much. If that pup learns where the pressure is and where to be to, to control them. Whereas trainer, trainer stock, you know, some of the stock, you, you could let a chihuahua off and they'll run at you. You know, they, they're right there on you. And it's good for the first look or two. But after that, I'm not a big fan of sheep that, that are that broke. Apart, yeah. apart from the fact of my trainer sheep of weathers that were pets and they near stand up above my hip. And if if, if a pup gets in there and hoozles them, I'm climbing the fence because they near break my knees when they get to me. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, I, you know, I, some some pups are mature uh, mature early enough to get training early. But I, I, I tell people, if you want to see whether your pup's mature enough to train, Get him out of the round yard and put him on a bit of a mob in, in a little paddock. He'll soon tell you whether he's ready to train. Absolutely. You know, I've had, had him look a million dollars in the round pen because I'm standing there. I can keep him off. Cheaper at my feet. You let him out in the big pen and you'll see, you know, he might not be quick enough or he could just totally not have the focus you thought he had in that round yard. And that doesn't mean that pup's no good. just means he's not ready to go yet. Yeah, that's right. Not right for that scenario, right? Just needs a bit more, a bit more work. Well, a bit more age. Yeah, you know, more legs. Yeah, yeah, you know, and <clears throat> it uh, the the dangers to me sometimes in that round pen, which I've discovered myself because I've used it a fair bit and I've tried a lot of different processes. That that when you get a young dog. I, I, I'm going back to what I used to say about my horses now. When I first get a horse off somebody, I said, look, I don't mind how much you've rode that horse, but don't start him on anything. Don't start him on a cow. Don't start him on the mechanicals. Just give him to me ridden because I learn that much about that horse the first time I go to stock because I always say I want to find out what he has to offer me before I offer him anything. And I think pups are the same. If you get in there straight away in that round yard and you got your stick or whatever you use and you got him away and you, you're you just straight away training, straight away you're training him. Yeah, I'd absolutely. rather knock him down and see what he does without me doing anything. And that way I can read what I've got to work with there. I can train him down the track, but I don't want to, I don't want to start training from, from the get-go. I'd rather see how he thinks, how he reacts to his stock. You know, does he run hard and does he get a blood rush and just run into them? Is he maybe just an aggressive style pup? Um, I've got a pup recently that when when sheep break, he runs hard and wide, but when they slow up, he slows up himself. I can't even stop him. Like that's nothing to do with me 
putting anything on him. You know, I'm not too worried about being able to teach the animal what I want. I'm more worried about trying to source those animals that have, that have got stuff that I haven't seen in pups before. That That's sort of what I keep looking for anyway. Yeah. And uh, that'll help your breeding program too. So uh, I always absolutely. say you're not, you're not breeding to the trainer, you're breeding to the dog. <laughs> And, and that's uh, that's a very valid and, and important point too that I think a lot of people um, just glaze over. Yeah, and, well, especially if you want to breed better animals yourself. You know, you've you've got to, I think, um, you've got to have a, a a way of trying to identify quality. And and um, you know, I've, I've took dogs for people at times. I I don't. I don't really like doing it a lot, but but if it's a bloodline or a an animal that you know I'm curious about that those lines, I'll often take them because I want to see for myself what they've got to offer me. You know, and and that if people are going to send me a dog, they've usually got to interest me in the way it's bred or something like that. Otherwise, I'm really not that interested. You know, but if it's a if it's a bloodline I'm curious about, or a fellow sent bought a pup up uh, Rocky, and um, anyway asked me, you know, if I'd train it, and I was going to say no, and then he told me the lot number, and I said, yeah, no, I'll take him because he, he interests me, you know, and um, yeah. and that's sort of the way I work because if I'm still if a, if a dog isn't interesting me, even one of my own at home, I usually, we move them on, you know, and um, my wife doesn't allow me to to do the old routine of, uh, you know, putting them in a gully or anything. She rehomes them down the Gold Coast and they're always kind of after them because we've done all the hard yards and reared them and, um, uh, you know, they've had their shots and um, usually, you know, you can call them and sit them or whatever, get them to you. And then, you know, they don't, people down there don't have to go through the puppy stage and they can go do their obedience and all the little social events they want to. So we, we make no money on them. But, uh, and, you know, I've said to her, I don't want the word to get out that they get a better life if they don't work because that would really get interfere with the ones I've got here at home that I kept. So, um, yeah, we, but, but, yeah, sometimes, sometimes it's not that they're a bad dog, it's just they don't. I don't know. It's, I, I guess you can say click or they just don't interest me. So, yep. you know, it just won't get the work it should get. A hundred percent. If if you're not on the hook, well, you're not going to invest, right? Yep. Absolutely. Yep. And do, do you remember your first dog? Look, <clears throat> I probably, I do, yeah. It was a blue cattle dog and uh, I never tried to work stock with her ever. So that was when I was about 18 yep. and she was, she used to get just chained up to my truck as a guard dog sort of thing at the shows. And that's what she was. And then my first proper dog, uh, well, I had a few, but the, the one that I really remember, and that would have been back in the 80s, and uh, she was uh, sent up to me by a fella called Philip Kirkby, who bred a lot of, lot of good animals in his days, passed on now. And he, he wanted me to he set her up. I met, I sort of got to know him through um, a fellow that um, 
that uh, had stock horses for him and said, if I see any, he sent the bitch up and he said, if you see any dogs up here you think's worthwhile breeding, he said, breed a pup, breed a litter and send me pups down. And I did that for a few years. And she was a Rosedale Turbo bitch. Yep. And um, she, well, she's in a few pedigrees still now today, if you track her back uh, or track their pedigrees back. And and I didn't, I loved, like, I really liked the bitch and he just left her with me. But I didn't realise how good she was until probably she'd passed away. Like, she was a proper good bitch, smart. I always thought she was too soft. Like, she had a little nose bite, but that was it. And I used to get different packets of cattle when I was in Queensland from the sale yards. So we might have sort of 60 head out there, but they were drips and drabs from everywhere. And she, you could send her. I did a stint working at the meatworks, and I'd come back and ride horses after work, and I could send her into the paddock, and I'd just saddle these horses and get them ready, and she'd have the cattle at the gate there. There was horses in the paddock too, never bring them, and she wouldn't miss anything. It wasn't a big paddock, I know probably only about 90 odd acres but she wouldn't miss a thing and uh anyway in a pressure situation in an arena she, uh, cattle would run over her, like she'd nip them but they would run over in an arena and um she wouldn't run away but she just didn't have any punch it was like me hitting somebody and uh <laughs> always always wanted something harder harder and heavier and uh so i you know, I'd, I'd never, I always used her because she always got the job done in the paddock. And um, anyway, you know, it wasn't until I started getting those hard dogs that I I realised what a mistake I'd made. Like I did, luckily we bred a lot of pups out of her and, and down on the coast from here, um, uh, Jimmy Connolly had a pup out of her and he bred a lot of, lot of dogs out of her. And um, everywhere I went, we, we went, uh, down to uh, Eagle Bar Station and um, I see a black dog down there and I said to my eldest son, James, I said, I like that. He was a young dog. I said, I like that dog. I said, we need some new blood. I said, why don't you go um, join your bitch to that dog? Anyway, we find out it goes back to the old bitch anyway. I yeah, just right. back through down the coast. <laughs> yeah, so sometimes you've got to be careful what you wish for and uh, maybe realise what you got. You know, I guess if you've got if you're a perfectionist, you can always find fault or things you'd like to change with what you've got. And and you look over the fence sometimes and you, you think, geez, I'd like something just like that. And then when you go live with it, you realize it's only you didn't know its faults. You know, and that's why the dogs I breed to, I'd rather I'd rather breed to a dog I've got because I know it, I know the ins and outs of it. Or a dog that I've seen a lot of, I find it very hard breeding to dogs that I don't know much about. It, uh, yeah, just, I find it tricky. You just described me. <laughs> I, um, I know a fella I'd spent time with in the States said to me when I was 18, he, he had a saying, he said, you know what, he said, if we could all put our problems in a pile on the floor there and you could grab anybody's problems, he said, always grab your own because you know best how to deal with them better than anybody else. And uh, 
I always thought that was good advice. We've all got our problems, but nobody knows how to deal with them as good as you do yourself. Yes. And I think that's the same with dogs. That's good advice. Fantastic advice. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um, I was going to ask before, you've spoken a bit about your genetics um, and breeding dogs. Where did the FL come from? We sort of mentioned it earlier, um, and you mentioned there was a bit of a story behind that. Well, <clears throat> there was. It sort of started with the horses and the place we we sort of went out on and, and uh, I, I remember saying it's a fine line, it's whether this will work or it won't. And um, we sort of got to be a, a bit of a thing we used to joke about. So we, we actually called our first stables fine line and that's where it come from. And But that was the reason we sort of, we were pretty young and, uh, when we just got married and, and uh, you know, I'd left the meatworks, which was really good income and had to kick off on our own. And, uh, and I, you know, at the time I didn't know, you know, whether it was going to work or not. And I said, oh, well, it would be a fine line as to whether this will work out. And, uh, yeah, so that's how we, we come. And then I shortened it just to FL. And actually, the horse side of it, we, we're in a partnership with uh, a vet um, down in Euroa, and uh, we call it Extra Fine Line. <coughs> that's really cool. You get some um, good good horse names from that too, wouldn't you? <clears throat> yeah, I've always been a little um, the, the horse names. You know, sometimes I don't sleep a lot, and I get bored <coughs> with uh, lots of different you know things. I, I I tend to you know like I listen to every sort of music, and so the names come from everywhere. Like the one mare we named, and that was part of Stacey's thing. We named all her foals after grasses, and then you know I went through a bit where I was listening to blues and and uh, music and so, yeah, I would call one of our horses Blue Tunes and, yeah, so the names just come random. I'm, I'm fairly random with what I do. I get bored like, uh, doing stuff and I often say I've got the attention span of a sparrow. I sort of <laughs> go here and there. <coughs> how, about, how about the dog's names? Have you, have you carried on that trend? No, my grandson names a lot of them. The, we had a pup here and that uh, was by my dog out of a, a um, guy's bitch and it, it arrived here and my grandson said, you know, well, I said, oh, I'll have to call, name this pup. And, and he said, oh, yeah. And he said, how, how old is he? And I said, oh, he's, he's not one yet. And he said, oh, so he's zero. We'll call him zero. So <laughs> he, he names a lot of them. Like I just let him go and... Uh, you know, I've always said with horses and, you know, with dogs that the name doesn't make the dog, the dog makes the name and the horse makes the name. You can have the most ridiculous, well, Maccabi Diva, you can have the most ridiculous name, but not many people don't know that name. So it's a horse that makes the name. You can name a horse anything. And if it's a good horse, people will remember it. And I've named, I've named horses over the years proper cool names and they were never any good and can't even remember the name now. <laughs> <laughs> it's cool. Oh, I love it. So um, would I be accurate in saying that like, most of your camp would be collies? Yeah. 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 I, I guess they've suited me because I don't have, 
I haven't had like massive acreage and um, they, they're probably a, a, a little easier, younger to get along with, probably not so high energy for what I wanted to do. And um, so, yeah, I've sort of tracked them and then, you know, like some of the UK dogs have really interested me for reasons, you know, um, a lot of people say to me, oh, you know, still like the UK dogs or like this or that. And can, can, just, really can, can I, sorry, can I cut you off for one sec, Rob? Yeah. Because there's a question here from Nick Hovey, and yeah. you're about to talk about it because uh, you sent it to me last night. And he just has asked, um, you wanted to touch on your initial bloodlines uh, and what you have and why have you shifted from the crossbred lines that worked for him um, in your program for so long to a UK-based style of dog? Well, I think I've tracked uh, what I'm looking for from the UK dogs is I think they got power. They're a little more direct in in the way they they work, and and they seem to listen. If you know, and there's good and bad. Like if you get the right lines, they understand commands uh mechanical commands a lot better meaning um you know they can they listen and and i think some of the new zealand dogs are the same they listen as well right in front of you as they tend to a long way away from you whereas what yeah. i've been experiencing with some of the lines i was using um the further away they got the kind of less they wanted to listen to you that in itself is not a bad thing either. Like, like I think um, environment and and production practices is what develops dogs. It doesn't doesn't matter where you are. Meaning the UK more intensive, a um, lot more open uh, open country than than a lot of places in Australia. And I think the Australian dogs have been developed. You know, and and the, the dogs that have been rated are the dogs that can think more for themselves where you can't see them. And, uh, but with that independence, which I'm not saying is bad by any means with that independence often comes, they don't always like being told what to do as much. Whereas mm -hmm. the other dogs, uh, you know, the UK dogs to me, uh, you know, they've, they can put them on a dime and move them around and yeah. they're not so uh, dictated to, they work, probably what I say more of a 360 right around their stock where in Australia, it's still like a no, no, Oh, you know, they cross in front of you, you're out, you know, especially in the trials and um, you know, they work pretty much only the, what I call a 180, you know, it, it's, it's all our trials over here. Like I, the three sheep, you know, sheep only got to jump across the top of your dog done the yeah. dogs you know cross the sheep well actually the sheep might across the dog but either way you're out in the uk obviously they cross drive and uh to me they can work anywhere around a mob so they can sit here drive them away put them anywhere and and i know our good handlers in australia can do that with their dogs even the three sheep guys you know i've seen greg prince doing it um but the nature of our you know i guess our contests are that it's not allowed and um, I think when you get a dog that you can work the whole way around the mob, not not because he's, I don't want to cross on the cast or anything like that. I just, unless I ask for it, um, I just think that, that a dog that works 360 degrees around stock and that, that 
that is the way that it's accepted for us to work stock. The dog's more complete because he's not dictated to so much by where the lead's going all the time. Whereas a lot of our dogs over here are strong lead dogs, but sometimes you battle to pull them off the lead. You know, the, they, they're going to the lead, or my dogs were anyway. My, and like I had some very, very, you know, like, well, pull stock up. There's no problem about that. But if, if stock went through a gate and some started to take off, you better look out for where your dogs were because you'd be still trying to feed cattle through the gate and your dogs would be gone up the lead, pulling them up, you know. And then if, the, if it's a small gate, some are heading down the fence line here, especially if the cattle have gone through the gate, took off over here, you know. So, I, I, you know, first thing you've got to do, you might, you might be able to send one to the lead, but you might need to keep one back here. So I think you need to have a certain amount of control. And if you bring stock in the same way day in and day out, you don't have to have much handle on a dog at all. He'll learn the lay of your place. You know, yeah. you, you bring them the same way, but you try and change that one day. And if you don't have that handle, like he just like looks at you like, no, we bring them in here and we take them over mm -hmm. there. And, and that's what I think, you know, the UK dogs have to offer. But I will tell you, I don't think on the whole, not, and again, I'm not talking about individuals, I'm talking about as a group. Yeah. Um, they probably don't have the stamina that we often need over here, um, our, you know, especially in our hotter climates. And, you know, I, I believe that's where the, obviously the Kelpie and stuff come into their own and, you know, they just, they're better travelling dogs. And uh, on the whole, I'm not saying you won't get a collie that'll travel, but if you look at them as a group, I think they're softer going dogs. Um, and uh, so it's, you know, to me, it's not one's better than the other. You got to find out what fits, what your operation, I guess, is what I'm, talking about and what you want to do and it's like you know there's horses and horses if i want to win the melbourne cup i don't have a single horse bred on the place that's going to do that yeah. you know but but those guys that breeding them race horses they want to go try and win a cut in futurity none of theirs are going to do that either and yeah. you know I, I read something the other day which i agree with you know even when people talk about all rounders and all the rest of it it's uh the old saying, one size fits all doesn't usually fit anybody. You know, it's to me, you know, I, I'd rather have a dog that's really good at this and a dog that's really good at that than a dog that's pretty good at both. That's just the way I feel, you know, and everyone's got a different idea. You know, they want a dog to go work cattle, work sheep, work the race, you know, and but I'd pro I want probably something that's, and I'm not saying I've achieved that yet, but I'd look for something that's exceptional, you know, in that area. Something that most people talk about that dog is how good it is or that horse, how good it is in that area. And, yeah. um, you know, but again, I'm, that's just my take. I'm not saying I'm right or wrong, but, um, you know, it's not hard to feed an extra dog if you want a dog to work the race and then you want a cattle dog. It's only one extra dog, isn't it? That's right. Yeah. What, what attributes or style of dog are you trying to breed these days? I guess I want power. I, I, I'm, what I'm working on at the moment is, is uh, that power within the last foot without, without uh, like for cattle anyway, without a bite unless you need it. You know, a lot of dogs, when they get within a foot of stock and they're threatened, you know, they take the offensive. So 
probably what I'm trying to say is maybe more of a defensive bite. But I, I want a dog to, you know, to get up there in their face and, but not, uh, you know, I guess go too hard too soon. Um, and a dog that's settled, and and I'm looking for that elusive dog that that has a, like we talked about earlier, has that ability to take cattle that you might think it won't handle, and it handles them. Meaning it's that X factor. I don't know about. I don't know how to describe. I've seen it but I don't know how to pick it. Same as, you know, picking pups and that. I've tried everything. And usually I, I, I can't say that I've got a system that that's foolproof, you know. Probably the best advice I ever had was a guy that when I was young that, that helped me when I did a little bit of trialling. And I asked him about picking pups and, and he took me out. He, he, had, he ran off a generator. He was out the back of Toowoomba there, had no power, no nothing ex-light horseman and uh there's a litter, litter of pups in the stable there and and i said to him so what, what pup would you pick here and he just looked and said that pup right there and i looked at it and i said well why would you pick that pup and he said because that's the best looking pup in there and i said so what it's going to work the best he said no but he said you'll always get rid of a good looking pup somebody will want it and same with <laughs> you know if you've got an ugly horse and it works, that's fine. But if it doesn't work, it's just an ugly horse. But if you've got a mm -hmm. good-looking horse yep. and it doesn't work, somebody will say, shit, that's a good-looking horse, you know? Would you sell it to me? Yeah. And you always get rid of it. And that's probably still the best. I've squeezed toes. I've done a lot. I've checked the black roof in their mouth and uh, I've been through it all. And the, the, the best pup picker I got is Christopher. He goes in there and sits with them and he'll tell you, he'll say, I like this pup. And I'll go with that one every time. And I reckon eight times out of ten he's been right. So maybe he's got the knack I don't have. <laughs> <laughs> Just keep getting him to pick him. Yeah. yeah. Wait, um, want to talk a little bit about your current team? Yep. Well, it's kind of up and down at the moment. I've got a, you know, like I've got some that I don't mind for, for the, you know, the cattle job. I've got some that are, okay, I guess, you know, just my work dogs. A couple I want to, like I'm trialling, but then I wanted to get better at trialling. So I've gone to a few uh, three sheep days and tried to learn it because a little bit more about that. And I have, I've learned a lot just going there. Um, but then I kind of, got the bug for it so i thought oh, i might do a bit of this three sheep trial and so now I've, you know i've kind of bred with three sheep dog because i realize you need a slightly different style of dog than i was working with and so I, I guess at the moment i'm in a real transition period because i'm i'm still trying to breed something i'm trying to keep it a bit separate but then i've got to use what i got to go to another step too you know so yeah i'm probably yeah. in the middle of things i might um I've got a couple of litters now that are probably, you know, more cattle bred, but then I've got a, I call them a crossbred litter where I bred one of my cattle, but like collies to, to a three sheep dog. And they're not really old enough for me to get going with at the moment, but um, we'll, uh, we'll wait and see. So yeah, at the moment I'm in a, I told you I got bored. I got the concentration of the sparrow. So I kind of <laughs> jump, you know, from a breeding point of view, there'd be a lot, lot of people around way 
way more distinct with bloodlines, you know. And somebody said to me, you know, about, the, you know, my horses and things, and they said, oh, you know, we like your line of horses. And I always say, that's kind of pretty weird because I said it, it's I've only just took everyone else's lines and played around with them. You know, like you can't invent the working dog. So I, I don't like think I've got a line of dogs. I don't, you know, there'd be other people that have been doing it for generations and their their fathers might have been doing it for, you know, too. And they'd be a lot more beneficial to talk to about that sort of thing. I just steal what I like and what I see people with and then play around and jumble them in. And, you know, sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't. So, yeah, I'm probably not... Uh, Dead set, not a guru in that area as far as I know what I want, but life for me now is too short to, to you know, I'm going to have to play around a bit and to, to get where I want this, you know, otherwise I'll, uh, yeah, I won't get there. I've gone a fair bit further down the track with the horses because I started more seriously with them because it was my business. Yeah. Mm -hmm. so, so have you got a go-to dog at the moment? <coughs> Again, it depends on the job. <clears throat> I've got a little, yeah. like a little bitch there that's good with the ewes and lambs, and she's probably the best I've got on sheep, and the others are decent. And then um, I've got a wide-headed bitch here that I didn't breed that's got a fair bit of punch, and she can be a bit headstrong sometimes, but if I my cattle are a bit, uh, a bit tough, she's my go-to dog there. And then, you know, I've got a couple, I say, like refined. If the cattle are not too bad, I can... I can put them exactly where I want and get things done. But yeah, no, I, I, uh, I guess so. You know, I'm still a work in progress when it when it comes to that. And I just hope and I'm not right on the buggy when I go to do a job. <laughs> yeah. yeah, absolutely. And you mentioned about having a couple of different litters there. Um, is breeding pup something you you enjoy, or just a necessary evil to get the dogs you like? Yeah, obviously, I think anybody like, you know, like if you, yeah, I, I enjoy breeding them. I don't just breed them for the sake of it, meaning, um, you know, I want to have a, I don't want to be a puppy factory or anything like that and just churn them out. I've got to have a reason for trying things. And and then, you know, I've always, you know, with everything I've done, like I'll, I'll, I'll have ideas and I usually overthink things and, and I've got, reason behind what i try to do and then when it doesn't work or it looks like it doesn't work it doesn't worry me i say well that didn't work and i move on you know if you if you're not willing to make mistakes with what you're doing then you'll never achieve anything you've got to just get out there and as long you know to me you've got to have a reason for for joining two dogs together not just oh you know i might have to sell a few pups here and breed a few i i sort of have a reason and again sometimes it works Good and sometimes it doesn't and and then in a you know in a litter they're not all the same and i'll even play around with a well-bred bitch that maybe wasn't as good as i thought um and use as a brood bitch because i know with the horses it's not always the you know i hear a lot of people say oh if you if, if it wasn't a good bitch why would you breed from her and and you know i'll say to well, you know if she's really well-bred and and few of her siblings are doing good. I'd breed from her. I'd give her one go, breed a litter. Because sometimes, you know, I I speak to people and they said, oh, I had a bitch, and they'll say how good she was and that. Yeah, never bred anything though. You know, she just great dog, but never bred anything. 
And sometimes it's the sister that wasn't as good that they don't join because they didn't think she was as good, but could be the breeding animal. Genetics are, they're tricky, you know, like if yeah. genetics are sound and that individual just doesn't, uh, doesn't necessarily live up to a genetics, don't be frightened to maybe breed litter and see because she could be the brood bitch. She could be the one that bloody sets you on the thing. And I mean, you see it in the racehorse game all the time. It's not always a big, you know, superstar that breeds on. She was a great individual, but might not be the one that breeds on. But usually yeah. the good ones are well-bred. That's the trick. You know, they look yeah. well-bred, but they just might not have lived up to their to their breeding initially, but they just skip a generation and off you go again. So, you know, I think, yeah, you've got to look at the genetics and the how the dog's bred. And if there's blood in there you like, don't be frightened to try at least once anyway. You know, it costs you nothing really. In, when you've dealt with horses like I have, breeding dogs is cheap. You know, <laughs> if you had to, if you got a horse that didn't win anything and well bred, you know, it's going to cost you bloody anywhere from four to ten thousand in the horse game in our cutting horse game to try it. So that's a gamble. You know, everyone says, "Oh, she won nothing," and then all of a sudden you got to wait for the foal, and then if it turns out to be good, all of a sudden she's a producer. There's a, a a mare in America that was a surrogate, like she was just carrying other mares' foals, and then they ended up breeding her. And she's one of the legends of the industry at the moment over there. Like yeah, well. she carried other foals for a while. I don't think she won enough herself. And then somebody just joined her, and then off she went. And now she's a legend as a as a producer. So isn't it crazy? Know, yeah, and that's why I always say to people that yeah, it's it's if it was that simple that you just Bred the best to the best and got a champion, everyone would have one. It ain't yeah. No, no, not at all. And, and while we're talking about breeding, and you mentioned pups early, have you got a um, an age that you like to start them? And I know you said earlier there, like, you know, at 12 months old, you still didn't want to see too much from them or, or you weren't even starting them there. Has that changed at all for you? Yeah, look, I, you know, I guess – the world we live in is fast food world. Like in, in the day, I didn't breed many pups and I could wait till I were 12 months old. It didn't worry me. Now we've got more, you know, we're, I'm trying to look for a special dog. So I'm breeding more dogs, trying more dogs. And and if you're going to do that, you know, and you, you'd say to somebody, oh, I've got a pup here, you know, and, it's, you know, it's four and a half months old and, you know, they want to buy it. And you, and you say, yeah, but it's doing nothing yet. People kind of aren't going to want it. So then maybe at 12 months, it, it is doing something and they'll take it then, but that's a fair bit further down the track. So it's a fast food world. So I like them to show interest, you know, reasonably early, but that doesn't mean to say I want to train them that early. But like I said, it encourages me to keep them, feed them. And then if you want to sell one, you drop it down and it goes to work early, you know, and wants to do a bit. They're easier, you know, if you've got a litter of them, they're easier to sell. You don't have to hang on to them. You know, I think the kiss of death for me has always been trying to hang on to too many pups in a litter. You know, I think if you, if, for me, if I only keep one, two at the most in a litter, that's plenty because something's going to miss out. Like if you keep the whole litter, some are going to become favourites, some aren't, and then they miss out on the extra stuff, not the work, that cart them around, you know, put them on the buggy when you go to spray, you know, they'll miss out on that. 
So I don't like having a lot of pups at the same age around me because I just a good part of my program is, you know, um, making sure they're, they're mates with me and I can do a lot before I go to stock. You know, if I go to stock early, I might drop them down once when I can't call them to me. But that, that'll be it. You know, I see people dropping pups down and, and then they, they create a fire in them pups to where they can't get them off stock. You know, because they, they haven't never taught them to come. And, and, you know, they go do clinics and these pups are just, just they're that keen. But they can't even get them to come off, you know. And I said, if you, you know, to me, the the, the first thing you got to have is be able to call your pup off stock. And and in saying that, that's what I do at home. I always talk about being able to call a pup with no distraction, meaning just out in the open. You know, I'm spraying weeds. There's no, I'm the only thing he knows there. I can get him to come. I let him get used to that. Then the next thing is with distraction and usually that's I've got dogs tied up on posts and you know little pups wanting to run over and play with them and I want to be able to say to call him and he's wanting to go play with that pup and I need to make him come to me when I can do that then when I go to stock and he's really excited about working stock I can call him off because if I can get him to me I can I can shape him and I can you know I don't care about stopping one I've got to be able to call him to me that's the first, to me, the, the primary deal. And then the other thing, you know, we tend to make a mistake with a lot with young pups is we let them work <clears throat> and then call them to us, pick them up and, you know, pat them and off we go. In, in a session, let them work, call them to you, pat them, make a bit of them, then go back to work with them again. Let them work two or three times with a call off in between. And then your call off becomes part of the work, not the end of work. Mm. And and if, if the call off's the end of work, it's like a dog that's playing and you stand near his chain and you're going to put him on the chain and he looks at you. Well, I don't want to go on the chain. I want to keep playing. And that's why they don't come, yeah. you know. So, yeah. you know, sometimes I'll do that. I'll be playing and I'll call them over to where the chain is and I just pat them. I don't chain them up and I let them go. I don't just call them the one time I want them and off I go because you'll teach a pup that 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 stuff is the end of whatever they're doing and that's the same. You've got a pup keen to work stock. You don't ever want him to think that coming to you is the end of his work. It's just part of the work. I call him over, pat him and say, let's go back to work again. Then he's happy to come to you because he doesn't think it's all over. And, and you know, you've got to understand that those keen pups, that's like candy to them. It's the same with horses. Like there's no different, you know. That I'd rather work a horse two or three light sessions than one session and then put him away. You know, it's uh, they don't take them long to, to figure stuff out, and it's just and you need to put that in place young before you do anything. You know, it's uh, you know, as I said, it's like you start the fire in that pup, and then before you know it, you've burnt the neighbourhood out. I mean, you can't stop it. It's just, you know, and then you've got to really towel him down to, to stop him from working or cornering. You're there diving around oh, in front of the stock, trying to stop him from working. It's great he's keen to work, but it's your mistake that you're doing that. 
because you've created too big a fire and it's got out of hand. So realise keen pups, every day you take them there, they're going to get keener. That's just, the, that's what will happen. So make sure you, you realise where things are going and get ahead of the game. And that's, you know, pretty much all training's about that. You know, the, I think the thing that you can't learn off videos and is is that that understanding of, of where this horse is going to be in four days' time, you know, or where that dog's going to be in four days' time. You're just looking at what's happening here. You're not letting him work here thinking, in four more days, I'm going to have a problem here. And that, to me, training isn't about teaching. It's about, it's about not letting bad habits develop. That's the bottom line, you know, like keeping it pure. And that's why you've seen it happen before. You know, you think, oh, yeah, I know what will happen, you know. He does something good, but you can see him starting to take over on you. And you think, oh, this is going to get out of hand if I keep, you know. And today it looks good, but in three yeah. days' time, yeah, he's got away on you. And to me, that's all training is about. And that's why that's experience. You can learn shit like on videos about technique, but timing and feel, you got to do it to figure that out. Just got to get in and do it. Great advice. Fantastic advice. Definitely. Oh. Should I get that one? Yeah, there's a question here from Nick Hobie. You're right. Yeah, I just feel a bit crook. That's yeah, it. I um, What's your opinion on line breeding in the working dogs? I think line breeding in anything is uh, is probably you have what I call a purple patch, meaning. Uh, if you can consolidate those genetics that you're after, then you'll have a purple patch, but it's got a lifespan too. You know, you keep line breeding, you start to lose quality in your dogs. You might keep the work ethic good, but your bone and structure and a lot of things go out. But while it's happening, you you know, and, and I'm not going to say what the lifespan is, but some of the best animals and the same in our cutting horse industry have been line bred. But you've got to realise that there is a lifespan and somewhere you're going to have to maybe go backwards to go forwards again. In other words, you've got to introduce something. And I've been, I've been, it's been hard for me to line breed, even with my horses. And people have done it with my horses and had success. And I could have done it, but I've, always, I've as much as I've wanted to carry the good things on, I knew the faults and I didn't, I was trying to get rid of them too. Yeah, if you, if you understand what I mean, and that's what's hard. So, I guess I'm a, a bad critic, in as much as I don't want to. I always I'm trying to get better, and and I believe the, the the greatest thing with line breeding on the whole is consolidation. You know, you're consolidating what you want, and I don't know if I've got to the point where I'm happy enough with my article that I want to actually consolidate it, always yeah. looking to try to Im improve. But there is no doubt that if you're maybe further down the track than me, that line breeding will, can produce some of your better animals. But you just got to watch that ain't get smaller and lighter bone. Absolutely. And, actually, and I've seen, seen that with a lot of line breeding articles mm -hmm. at the tail of their purple patch. You know, you say, oh, yeah, it's a such and such bred dog. And you look at it and you think, geez, it doesn't look that good. It might work the house down, but I've kind of gone through the, the great period, kept line breeding, 
and dwind started to dwindle away a bit. But you know, in all honesty, with most of what we're doing with the horses and and even the dogs, I guess um, there's not as much scope as you like to think. Meaning, if you want to start like dogs, because I guess you, you've bred so many pups in a litter, the horses, the embryo transfer. Like it's been great to us. It's you know been a great period for us. With, but it's narrowed your genetics, and that's what you know. One of the reasons a racehorse game won't allow that to happen. You know because you you can you know with embryo transfer, some of your mares can have three foals a year, and then their daughters can do that, and their daughters can do that, and their daughters can do that. And before you turn around, everything is related. And 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 we, like America's bred some really good cutting horses, like. The horses, I, there's more better horses now than when I started, but they have carried through a few of the things you don't want to. And I mean, it's, that's why with the collies now, you know, you you go to Oravet and get them tested. And like you look at the UK and they got a list just long, they're even doing hip shape on them. But that tells a story itself, doesn't it? Definitely. Yeah. When, when you're doing that. So again, I'm not saying it's wrong, but. There's not a perfect, um, nothing in life. There's trade-offs to everything you do, you know, and that's life in general. There's always a trade-off. If you're prepared to pay the price, it's all good. <laughs> do anything you want. Yeah. So how do you go about um, picking dogs to join and, and even to your horses? How do you go about picking? Join a dog to a horse. No. <laughs> <laughs> um... <Yeah. laughs> that's a new type of line, Brady. <laughs> That's no, I'm really it's if I see something I like, and that can change, you know, I see something I like, I, I'll just go pursue it and try it. You know, yeah. a lot of it's just gut feeling at the time, and again, sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. And you know, the one thing that's probably helped me with the horses and the, and the dogs is that I, I don't I don't try to get to have favorites and I wouldn't breed to, you know, his dog cause I don't like him or I wouldn't breed to his horse. I just focus on the animal. I don't care who owns it or whatever. And if it's available, I'll breed to it. And that's what I said. I don't like saying my line of dogs. I don't really, I put a prefix on them, but I don't really have a line of dogs. You know, I'm, I'm pretty random. I just try to breed better animals and, I'm not conceited enough that if I see an animal, I think, shit, that's really good. Better than anything I've got, I'll go breed there. You know, I think I want some of that. So, you know, and you know, you've got to go live it. You've got to, you've got to hang around with people um, that, that you, you respect. And I know, I know growing up, you know, one of my, one of my mantras used to be, you know, in the, all I wanted, I guess I used to say to people, all I wanted to be was respected by those that I respect. And that's all. Simple as that. You know, like, and that's the same. I'm not in competition with, <clears throat> the, you know, like when in the contest, if I'm trialling, I am. But in general, I'm not in competition with anyone else. Like, like if, if they're breeding good animals, they're doing what I like to do. And they're the people I want to be with. And they're the people I like to talk to. Yeah. You know, and, and they're the people I learn off. So, yeah, I don't, you know, I'm, I'm willing to go listen to, to anybody and um, and 
and I watch and, you know, I believe that you can't have too much information, whether you decide to use it or not, that's up to you. Yeah. But, you know, if you're hanging with people that, that are passionate about what they do, there's always something to learn there, you know, and, and that's what you've got to do. You've got to hang with the people that are passionate. They don't have to be the best of the best. They've got to be passionate. Yeah, for sure. Because passion is what, and, and there's so many, you know, you've got people that just want mustering dogs. You've got people that love sheep dogs. You've got people that got trial dogs. Like they're all passionate. And and, and like fella that just wants hard mustering dogs, you know, I say, ah, oh, them freaking trial dogs want nothing to do with them. And that's fine. He's passionate. The other fella's passionate. They're just on different roads. And to yes. me, that that's good. I like hanging around with people like that. And I don't want anything too standardised because that that basically narrows your gene pool. If we all thought exactly the same, we'd have nowhere to go. You know, it's good that this fella likes a harder dog and this fella likes a softer dog and this fella likes this sort of dog. This, to me, that's healthy. That's healthy because, you know, at this point I might be pursuing a path where I want a softer dog and then you know, I might get to the end of this, to the crossroads and decide, shit, I don't don't think I wanted them that soft you know like you you just pursue have a reason for where you're heading and but but I'm not you know people will say to me oh but you know five years ago you were trying to develop this I said yeah well yeah I had a go at it found out that exactly wasn't what I needed to do or my you know as you get older your tastes change and you know that's just you know I think that's good the other day we were having a chat and you mentioned sometimes inexperience is bliss as well. <laughs> yeah, I, I still believe that. I've seen some people, again, mainly in the horse industry because that's, you know, where I spent most of my time, but I've seen them with very little knowledge read some unbelievably good horses. And and I wouldn't have bred the way they did, did what they did because I'm, I've got too much knowledge to do that. And, and it worked. You know, and I think, there you go, you know, like the less you know, you know, you start out doing something and you think this is challenging, but, you know, I'll get a handle on this. And sometimes you have a little bit of early success and um, then you think, yeah, it will work and I'll get this. And then a year and a half later, you think, I'm worse than when I started. You know, I'm doing worse than when I started, but it's only that you know more. Mm. Now, you know, back then you you just didn't know as much. So, yeah, I, I still think that. You know, sometimes, again, I'm I'm the king of overthinking shit, and uh, <laughs> yeah, so, but it's just the way my mind's geared. You know, it's and again, that's the other thing. You know, I always say to people, you you got to be true to who you are, not to who somebody else is, or you know. And uh, I guess it comes down to what I talked about your troubles. We get to we you know as you get older you. You get to know your own faults and and you can you can deal with them you know better than better than anybody else that's why i've never you know i used to joke when i was younger you know that um with with mates of mine and they'd say what do you want for birthday present i said oh, i'd love to have a session with a psychiatrist so i'd just like to play with one for an hour and um you know like it's a to me you know, and, and and I'll probably get screened down for this, but, you know, nobody knows me as well as I do. And I know the ins and outs, the goods, the bads and the uglies. And uh, if anybody's going to give me advice, it better come from me because nobody else knows enough about me to tell me that. Yeah. And, uh, 
you know, I'm happy with that. You know, that's what makes the world go around. And, and we've spoken about, you mentioned faults there a few times, and, and everything has faults, right? But when it comes to working, though, what faults are you prepared to work with? I think, well, I'll, I'll say I love a natural dog, but if a dog's trainable, you can still make a really good dog out of it. So, so if a dog lacks some, some what I call some traits that I'd like to see him do naturally, be it, say, say his understanding of distance and stuff on stock, if he's trainable, you can help him with that. And, and if he does it often enough with your help, he'll get better at it. So I, I think I, you can overcome a lot of things if a dog's trainable. And horses are the same and people are the same. You know, trainability and being able to shape something is, is important. And, and yeah, you, you can, I, you know, I see a, a lot of dogs. I, I guess on a given day, you know, you'll go out and work and, and a dog will do something and you'll think, geez, you know, I wish I'd had a bloody video camera to record that. But then equally as much, some days you go out and the dog does something and you think, geez, I hope nobody is watching that. <laughs> you know, and they're a bit like us, you know. They don't always put their best day ahead, you know, up. And uh, so, you know, they, I mean, I, I'd like to say to you, yeah, you know, I wouldn't own a weak dog. But, you know, then I go talk to a few three sheep fellas and sometimes they said, look, this dog is a bit weak, but more times than not, he'll put them around without busting them. So in that scenario, you can probably get away with a weaker dog. So it depends what, you know, the, the biggest thing is, I think, with everything is that that we've got to, you, you, there's, a, there's usually a niche for, for every dog, you know, and if you've got a dog that's too weak on cattle, maybe he's got another another job. You know, if you've got a dog that's a bit crazy, like, like I've got a dog, that an old red dog here that I've got a really good handle on and he is over the top when you go to get him to do something. And I use, I don't work him much anymore. He's retired. But last year or end of last year, we had all that rain and my collies had all these cattle on the other side of the creek and there was a big flush in the creek and I couldn't get them across. And I had to drive home, well, not far, with the buggy. And I got the old red dog and I sent him over there. Well, he into these cattle and they fell in the river. And had to swim across, and I would have been there all day with my collies, because the, my collies don't heal. They just pointed their heads at the river and stood there, you yeah. know. And they go around the side, and they go, you know. And in that scenario, those dogs look useless. And he went over there, and he has like a strong double tap on the heel, and I mean he had them jumping over the top of each other, and something <laughs> fell in. But then I can send him down here on some weak on some broke wieners. And you, he'll see one break and you'll think, go, go, and he'll let it break. And then yeah. he will just go hammering, you know, because he loves the sport, you know. And that annoys the thrill of the chase. Hey? The thrill of the chase. The, yeah, and that yeah. annoys the hell out of me. So, you know, in one scenario, if you'd seen me the day I was there on the river and I dropped him off, you'd say, well, lucky you had the red dog. And I'd say, <laughs> yeah, lucky I had him. But then you see him go there and he brings cattle up and they got blood noses and stuff like that on cattle that didn't need it. And I just shake my head, you know. I, I think you bastard. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, everyone has their, you know, their moments, you know. It's uh, some of my best mates and that, you know, good, really good people and different things. But, you know, 
I probably wouldn't want to be be in the trenches with them. We're all too soft. <laughs> if, if it was a real fight. So, you know, sources for courses. Definitely. Um, question here from John Starr, and it's back when we were talking about the UK lines. He said, when you say the UK lines listen more, is it a sacrificing? Is it a sacrifice? Sacrifice of natural ability. Is it a sacrifice of natural ability or can it be blended in without losing the natural? Well, that's what I'm trying to do. I'm yeah. trying to blend the two, you know, like I use them and then, and I'm not saying they don't have dogs over there that, that, you know, they hate to bundle. You know, it's like saying Australian dogs are in <laughs> one bundle. Like it's yeah. still so diverse. You know, I say to people, try and trace, tra uh, chase traits, you know, and and there's no doubt that your, your farming practices develop the tools. Like ultimately, the dog's just a tool for us to get out. If you're not trialing, and even then it's still a tool, but ultimately it's it's used to get our job, make our job easier and be efficient. Now, if you've got certain country, a dog that's going to be really good for you um, is going to be what you want for that country. Somebody else with different country, different scenario, different mob sizes, it's a totally different deal, you know. So you've got to work out what traits you want. And I think you can. And I think the special dogs, you know, they can, they, they can do it all, be it here or in Europe, I don't, or the States or New Zealand, you just don't find that. I mean, if you've got high expectations, there's just not that many of them, you know, that, if you know what I mean. Like, you know, you those special dogs, you even talk to, the, you know, the guys that have been through a lot of them, they can usually name, you know, probably three or four at the most that they considered were like proper special. So I'm not saying they're not out there. You just, they're just not that easy to come by. So, yeah, in, in answer to that, you know, that's what I try to do. I, I, I want a dog that'll think for itself, but then I can also control it. But I do believe that a lot of the, like if you've got open country and you've got a handle on your dog, you can gather stock together pretty easy. You know, the, the thing, sheep will gather, to me, gather easier than, than uh, cattle. Yeah. Like if you've got cattle spread out in a paddock, the dog often has to put pressure on those cattle to get them to, to come. Yeah. Sheep, the presence of a dog, they tend to My get mom, together. Yeah. You so know, they're a big magnet. Yeah, so if, if the dog's wide and they feel him, they'll come together, short of being too wide. Cattle, though, that dog might actually, actually have to lift those cattle and then break and go get another group. To, to put them together. They don't all necessarily see, when they see a dog, they don't go poof and run together. So you, you need a slightly different dog for cattle and even on sheep. And, you know, a lot of, lot of dogs, I talk about gather, not because gather to me is putting stock together. And uh, again, depends on the stock. You know, I talking to a fella few months ago and we were talking about black cattle cows and calves how hard they were on dogs around here and he does a lot of work and he said oh, I take my dogs he said and this one paddock he said and there's a lot of hills and 
it's a flat down there and he said there's usually a few cows and calves down on the flat you know and a lot of them are up in the scrub and he said i'll he said i let my dogs go around these ones on the flat he said and they start bawling and trying to get my dogs and and he said those other cattle they just come out of the woodwork run down there to where the fight is because a lot of black cattle are like that they'll you know they all come yeah. together and he said as soon as they start all come down the hills he said i call the dogs out of it and said <laughs> and then i take the cattle away so he, yeah. they basically there's a ruckus you know not all cattle will do that but you know a lot of times i was because i was saying to him how you know get, well, got some cows and calves you know black cows and calves and you know it's not usually the one the dog's fighting that gets them it's their mate yeah, yeah, it comes in and yeah. t-bones the dog and, and that's when he told me that story he said yeah he said i'll go to this one place he said and that's what we do create a ruckus and they all come out of the woodwork and that's how he gathers them so <laughs> different you know, method horses for courses yeah and i'm not saying that happens everywhere and he's got yeah. handy dogs but he said that's the best way to use them in that paddock so like burly in, right? <laughs> just throw oh, some bait out there. There's like a bit of burly. Just throw some yeah, bait out there. Yeah, yeah. And there's a call back in and watch them gather. So yeah, you know, it's a again to me, they're just tools um to do a job. And and you know, I've had people ring me. Well, I had a fella ring me a while ago about you know a lot of burr country and that, and he was you know after something to get goats, and I more or less said, look, you know. I wouldn't be he saw one of my videos and wondered if i had anything for sale and i said i don't think they're going to suit what you want anyway you know um yeah. i said you're better off finding something in like that works the sort of country you're working and trying to do some homework and find out who's got handy dogs for that and then go source one from there yeah absolutely absolutely yeah, and you mentioned trialing a couple a few times tonight um have you done much trialing Look, I, I, I do a few at the end of each year and I want to do more of it now. And, you know, I'm, you know, it's, it's, to me, it's a sport in itself and um, you, you require a certain sort of animal to do that. And I'm not saying that animal won't do general work, but again, it'll become a specialized deal. And I've been through that with the cutting horses, you know, that people would say, oh, you know, geez, you wouldn't want to have to ride that horse all day. And I said, well, I don't. I said they go in there and cut out and they can win a hundred thousand. Yeah. If they're good enough. So yeah. I see trialing as the same. It's a sport. And um, you know, you need to, you know, be it catalogue trialing or whatever. I mean, the nature of our catalogue trials, the, the cattle are um usually pretty well handled, you know, for the trial, otherwise people don't keep rocking up. So yeah. you, you don't need, you know, a real rough dog. You need a you know, you need a, a dog, like I said, that's got presence and a dog that stock are comfortable with, you know, that, and that's the animal. If you're going to go be successful trialing, that's the animal that, that you better go looking for. And, um, so yeah, I, I you know, I, I want to do that as I get older. And, um, I did a bit of trialing when I was probably 22 and, and they all told me I was about 30 years too early. They said, you should still be riding horses. He said, this is what you do when you can't ride horses. So I'm getting to that age now where I'll, you know, want to, you know, develop a little. And I'll probably hunt that more than just general work dogs, you know, yeah. and uh, whether it's three sheep or um, like if they had ISDS trialing here, that, that's what I'd really love to do. But, you know, you put a lot of time and work into 
and I, I did with a few dogs into where you could cross drive them. I'm not saying at the standard that they do in the UK at all, but you know, if, if we had those contests here, that'd be something that would really interest me. But we don't, so you've got to kind of go with what we've got. And like I said, the catalogue trials, cattle are usually pretty broke and they rerun them a lot of times and they pull the bad ones out. And, you know, so, you know, you, you don't need that hard biting dog. Most times if your dog's got to be biting them, you ain't going to do any good anyway. You know, you need a dog with power though. That, that's what I said, that can get right up there with power without actually having to bite and just yeah. have what I call a defense bite, meaning if the cattle come at him, he'll grab him, but not, he won't well, go to the fur ruckus. Yeah. yeah. Keep, his, keep his stock settled. Yeah. Yeah. And some dogs have an ability to do that. As I said, they've got a, they've got that presence. And, and I don't always think that's just a lot about training. I think that's, there's something, as I said, I see it with the cutting horses, you know, horses that cattle can be really bad and they'll always find a good one you know that you know i think geez that guy's good he can always find a good cow in there and then you go see him with another horse it doesn't happen with that horse he's like comes back to the pack so definitely the good ones are good yeah there's no two ways about that and that that's what we're all after i guess like whether it's mustering you know yard work with sheep cattle finding goats whatever a good dog's a good dog you know as long as it's in that that operation yeah for sure. Yeah. Um, question coming through from Joe Levin. He's asked, hi, Rob, when selecting a dog or horse to breed, have you found desirable traits that are repeated within the family multiple times are more reliable than simply breeding to an outright champion? Yeah, without a doubt. Yeah, that's a fact. Yeah, you know, you'll see that. And, again, you know, I'd noticed it more on the horses. It's... Uh, you see a lot of traits get carried down through that bloodline and that's when i say you can skip a generation meaning that particular say animal isn't as isn't as good as mate been but it still carries those traits and then if you breed another animal with those traits to it off you go again yeah no doubt no doubt that's that's a fact so like for your horses for example you'd rather see something with you know a list of good quality, you know, whether they be competition horses or just good lines through them rather than something that, you know, has nothing behind it and a good champion? Yeah, the freak. You know, and most what I find today is there's, there's good breeding in a lot of animals now, like in the horses and even you look at the dogs. But, you know, that I say that that freak that probably, you know, excels over what, it should have been if you look at its family tree. Yeah, a lot of times you're going to struggle to for it to. You'd like you love to own it, but it might not be your best breeding animal. Yeah. And um, yeah. So without a doubt, you know, like it's it's important. You know, that pedigree is still important. I don't like to be frivolous about that. Um, it, it's still important. I I was just saying that the specific. You know, I don't want to. I'm not saying even then because an animal is um, good, it won't breed. I'm not trying to say that either. I'm just saying yeah. there isn't any guarantee, yeah. you know, in that area. But there's a guarantee with pedigree. Yes. Eventually, you might it might skip out. And then I talked to a, you know a few fellas at, at Bread Chooks actually, and um, there was a lot of what they call sex link breeding. 
in it where the males were better than the females in those certain lines and vice versa. And I've yeah. noticed that I've noticed that a lot with horses. Mm-hmm. Where the, and and I'm I'm imagining it probably happens with dogs too. You know, I don't have enough experience as far as in the dogs to say that, but I it'd be the same. Like a lot of my, the, the stuff we did with our horses, I learned a lot off people at Red Chooks. Yeah. And, and it, it related into the horses. I can name a bunch of them when I, when I say sex link breeding that that the males were going to be the ones that were going to be the best yeah. out of that cross or the females. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And you and, still see it today. Yeah. And then what do you think as to, you know, mare or bitch has over their progeny opposed to the stallion or dog? Look, I, I still, I'd still rather have the strength in the female line. Mm-hmm. Meaning, you know, if you've got a strong female line, you can often breed to a, you know, we breed like, uh, and I do it with dogs too, to what you might call a speculator, meaning he's a nice dog but hasn't had the chance to throw many pups. And I'll still bet on the, if you're breeding a good bitch to that to that dog, you've got a better chance of success. There. And, and the horses are the same. I've always, I've always, uh, been more interested in the bottom side and it's funny because in the the horse in our game in the horse game all they ever talk about society that's my next question what why and in anything we do these days like we're always looking at the size and the size are worth big money and whatnot why why because they're getting over more bitches or more mares i think that's i think that's the thing you know in the in the states they can you know that mare I guess too can you know even with embryo might only get three fold that stallion can get a hundred, hmm. maybe more each season. Yeah. And so that you know if you like, there's more dollars if you've got that gun stallion. There's more money to be made from him. Yeah, it's all just marketing, isn't it? Really. Yeah, but the secret to a successful stallion is attracting the right mares. Yeah. And the secret to, to probably a good dog is is attracting the right bitches. If he yeah. if he breeds yeah. enough good bitches all of a sudden people say shit he's a sire that that dog yeah so yeah. Um, and sometimes you've got to look at at percentages like just because a dog or a stallion has you know let's say three thousand progeny on the ground just pulling a number but only you know 20 percent of them are good but you get a, a stallion or a, or a dog that's only had 10 and and more than 50 percent of them are good well you've got to look at at averages <laughs> I have two different theories or, or another theory on that. You know, we, we've seen a lot of stallions that have produced in this country what I call a good, consistent article. But in our game, and, and probably I'd be the same with my dogs, I'll take 10 duds to one superstar. Yeah. Than, than 10, yeah, pretty good dogs. Why is that? Because, because people only remember the superstars. It's like Lotto. People enter Lotto all the time. They're not looking for third, third division or second division. They enter Lotto. And they'll keep entering Lotto because you know what they want. Yeah, they want the big prize. And I know that with the cutting. Like, you know, you can make the finals, which is hard enough to make, but there's only one that takes a hundred thousand home. You know, each time and and. I guess when we breed, we're after the $100,000 one. So um, usually if that horse or dog has bred that many 
individuals, like you said, there's a reason he got that many. So yeah. it that, it's not that easy to have a, a dog or a stallion breed that many mm. animals. So statistics, you know, and I'm not, statistics can be read however you want to read them. You know, if you're smart, you can make statistics work for you. I've seen, I see it all the time on Facebook. Yeah, you know, the, definitely. You, you can make them work for you and you finish reading it. You think, shit, that's right, isn't it? But then if you look at it and you think of it a different way, you think, yeah, but. Yeah. Uh, you know, I still think stats are good, but it comes down to what we said about having too much friggin' knowledge sometimes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, when you've lived around as long as me, you can. Yeah, it's just I'm, I don't know if I'm I'm not trying to be cynical either because you know, but it's just the way things are. You know, sometimes, like I said, ignorance is bliss. I reckon. You know, if you a good part of what you do, if you believe in what you're doing, it'll work more times than it won't. Yeah, absolutely. But if you lose the belief, you know, and I know that from showing horses. If you believe, that was one of the reasons I retired from cutting. I just believe that. My day was done. I wasn't wasn't going to get any better, and and I, you know, there's other there's other things I wanted to do in life, you know, and that I believe I could do. And and yeah, if you're riding down there thinking, yeah, I'm a bit past my prime, it's time to get out, you know. In in the cutting game, because it's a, for me, it was a business too. It's not like it's just pleasure of riding down there. You're taking people's money to ride yeah. down at that timeline. Yeah. And if you've got that attitude going across the timeline, you're not, you shouldn't be taking people's money for doing that. You know, the dogs, it's only my money. Yeah. yeah. And, you it's know, right. I, I believe, I believe I can, you know, even, I, I believe I can breed better animals than I'm breeding now. And that's what keeps you going. You know, I'm not saying it happens all the time. And I'm not saying every litter's better. It's that I believe if I keep playing around, I'll find. I'll get closer to what I want. Yeah. yeah. Um, another question has just come through from Nick Hovey. Um, he said, embryo transfer is so big in performance horses now. Would you see it as a valuable or detrimental tool in the working dog game? You sort of got it a little bit in the working dogs because you get eight pups or six mm. pups. So it's yeah, a bit fair anyway. Um, look. From what I know with the horses, it's helped us heaps, but there's a price to pay out. Like in the in the quarter horse world, genetics are that close. You know, they're that tight now because instead of having to uh, two things in the working world, uh, and, and I'd say to be in the dog world, like, well, I, I did the trial down at Tamworth and my two best bitches have got pups on them. So guess what? They weren't at the trial. They also come in season. So guess what? Can't no, try them. <laughs> so the horses were the same. In the day when that mare had to have a foal, if you wanted to compete her, you couldn't have her in foal. Yeah. A lot of times, some of our better horses in the early days, they didn't. They weren't even trying to put them in foal till they were 10-year-old because they wanted to keep working. Yeah. The ones they put in foal were the ones they didn't want to work. Oh, we'll breed a foal. She's not much chop. We'll breed a foal out of her. Yeah. yeah. And so embryos help that, okay? Well, Meaning, now you've got mares that are rising three and four that have foals on the ground. We did that 
And I think the, the horse I got second in the Futurity with in 2002 was Stacey's now's first, first embryo. So, and her mother, his mother, I should say, went through the Futurity in 98, so 98. Yeah, so basically, yeah, what, three, three, four years later, her first foal went through. Yeah. So, yeah, we bred her as a two-year-old anyway. So, yeah, so what, what you, um, yeah, so it's helped that way because um, obviously you, you can do more with those good mares now. They can go get eggs out of them and then they'll be back in the pen next year showing again. Yeah, which so you, you put your progeny up in price and everything if they're doing well and it's all a cycle, yeah. isn't it? It, it is, and, and you can get through more. Um, you know, the, the dogs, I guess you can say at least they have eight pups So in a litter, whereas a horse has one to choose from. Mm. So And, and you know, my experiences have been that not all pups are the same, even in full brothers and sisters. So you've got a choice there. Um, I don't know if – I don't know the advantages of embryo – transfer and dogs other than if your bitch can't carry pups you, you know what i mean you can take an egg out of her and maybe do it I, I don't know if they do it maybe they do um I, I don't see the advantages that we had with horses anyway because your gestation period's shorter you know so i mean even though i didn't have those bitches at this particular trial you know probably next time i'm ready to trial i'll both be up and running whereas a horse you know you lose a whole year don't you? Well, a year and a half if you want to let her re rear the foal. Yeah. Yeah, so, have only got to carry it for seven days and it's pulled out. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like seven days yeah. opposed to a year is a big, big difference, yeah. isn't the it? The disadvantages are narrowing the gene pool mm. because, yeah, you know, people, if you've got a good mare and you can breed, say, even two a year out of her and say one's a filly and then she can do that, because she's out of the good mare, then she can do that because she's out of the good mare. Doesn't take long before they've earned the right, but those bloodlines are starting to take over the, your industry. I can see how you look at it that way, but in other ways it's also bettering your gene pool in, in some ways, isn't it, because we're breeding from quality. It is, but it's narrowing it. Yeah. That's all I'm saying. I'm not, like I think I said, you know, about the horses, I said how we're riding way more better horses now. Mm -hmm. And without embryo, we wouldn't, that wouldn't be as, yeah, wouldn't be like happening. Saying, wouldn't be happening as much. Yeah. But it does mean that. We've got to think outside the square to widen that gene pool. You don't keep that second tier going, you know. So you, and then fashion starts to dictate <laughs> yeah. a lot then too. So that. That means lines that become unfashionable at the time for whatever reason um, fall by the wayside. And then I tell you, it happens in the States and everywhere at the moment, like they let them fall by the wayside because they weren't bringing the money and then they the pendulum swung too much one way with what they've been trying to achieve and they're starting to look back over their shoulders saying, shit, we need some of that stuff we had back there and it's not as much of it around. You know, yeah. I, I talk about that in the, uh, the, 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 say, the cutting, and I can see it with the dogs and, and the, more to do with the trialling side of things probably than general mustering. But, you know, the, the cutters, they got those animals that were more pliable and more trainable 
and they could put them around more with their feet. And they got to a place where they had some nice horses, but then they started to go out the other side to where the horses were, they were doing everything for the horses. So they started to lose that natural instinct, if you like. In other words, the animals started to become too, too mechanical. Mm-hmm. And, um, and, you know, they're doing that in the, the cutting horse industry now. They're looking for the, them cowy bred horses. And the, the thing was, the, th- the two things tend to pull against each other, meaning those which we talked about with those natural thinking dogs uh, to the mechanical dogs, the more, the more cowy your horse was or the more instinct, the less it, easy it was to manipulate him. Yeah. And that's what we were talking about with the dogs too. So the, the more natural and self-thinking that dog is, the harder it is to manipulate him. Hard to get that manipulation in at the expense of losing a bit of that natural instinct. And somewhere in the middle, there's a great balance between the two, but it's hard to stay in the middle. You tend to swing out one side, then all of a sudden you've got animals that you've got to do everything for them. And yeah. So, you know, again, that's just understanding what you want and, and, and what you need. And sometimes, yeah, fashion, it, it, I guess it, 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 things come back around, and, but it's harder in the breeding game because often we've let them go, you know. Like I remember when, you know, the shorts were short and that was fashion. <laughs> you didn't have long, like if you had long pants, you're a dork. You know, and now she's come back again. Where if you got short, tight pants, you, you, you're not kind of that good. You need the longer ones again. Yeah. And it, things just go around in cycles, <laughs> and um, and I think breeding's the same. You know, you, they want this, and that's what's winning. So that's what everyone chases. And yeah. then if they, they get so far, and they some oh shit, we'll go back here, and just the swapping and changing. It's. Uh, I always look at things like it's a pendulum and that's the same with training. You know, you sometimes I got my dogs on me too much. And sometimes they're not doing enough for themselves. Sometimes they're doing too much for themselves and not enough on me, even in training. Yeah. When you kinda when you get it right in the middle to where they're doing enough for themselves and you can still step in, you think that's what I want. But it's not as easy to stay there as you think. No, no, and that's that purple patch, right? That we're talking it about is. earlier. Yeah. Yeah, that's it. When you when you get that going, and you think, "Geez," but I, I, I don't know if I, you know, I said I hope to have some of that in the dog somewhere. But whether you can maintain it, I never managed to maintain it with the horses. <laughs> but anyway, cool. Um, all right, we already spoke about those ones, there, yeah. haven't we? Yeah. Cool. Wait, so we were talking about trialing before we got back into that. What will um, what will govern which direction you go? Where will be more three sheepy or more cattle, or are you going to do both? Well, I'm going to probably play around with both, but I'll need two different sorts of dogs. Yep. Obviously, to do it, you know, you, um, the, the directness of the, some of my working dogs, you know, after talking to a few of the three sheep trialers, they need a little bit more shape in them, you know, as they travel and, um, not so direct with how they move, you know, even though they move left and right, they need, yeah, just a different style of dog, you know, and I'll do a few more, obviously, going, you know, with the most of the trialling, and, and I might change if I get more time, but most of the trialling, I like to go see what everyone's doing, work my dogs, see where I 
think there's areas that I can do better or need to fix up. And then I, then I go home. I don't like to just rock up the trial the following weekend. I, I like to be able to go home and play around and tweak some things and get it set. And then I try again. Mm-hmm. And the same with it. I've only done two, three sheep trials. And, uh, but I, it's, it's not boring to me because I like to watch how they all go about working their dogs and, and I find things that I think are good and not so good. And then, of course, stock can make some dogs look unreal on the day and then different stock three trials later. The same, it's not even that the dog's got any worse, it's just the stock don't fit the dog as good. And um, that, that's, an, you know, that's interesting too. So I, I intend to try and pursue both, but like everything, when there's a cattle dog trial, there's a sheep dog trial. Yeah. When there's a cutting... There's a sheepdog trial and a cattle dog trial. And they're like, local. Yeah. It's, it's, you know, it's pretty busy. And then if you want to camp draft as well, basically yeah. you'd need, yeah, you'd need like to be in three three places at once. So we'll see. And I, I don't, again, it's my retirement, so I don't know if I'll be governed any one way. I'll, again, I'll just go by gut what interests me at the time. And, and, uh, is is there that. something you'd like to achieve? In a, in a trial, is it or is there a trial you'd like like to do well at? No, it's well, it's probably, and it was the same with the horses. No, I, I'm hoping I got enough time to maybe breed some dogs that that I think are, you know, whatever I choose to be at three sheep or cattle that I think are going to be really good dogs. I'd like to leave something, and that's sort of what I more set out to achieve with the with the horse side of things too you know yeah. we um you know and hopefully your family one of the family members will pick it up and go on with it more yeah, so. sorry <laughs> <coughs> yeah more so than just win this trial or that trial you know yeah. it, it, the you know i always try to say to you know kids and stuff that have come you know about the horses i you know if you think your life's going to fall into place because you win the futurity, <laughs> you dream. You need another goal. It's just it's a moment in time. Yeah. Then you want to win it again. You know what I mean? Like, so I'm not saying don't work towards it, but it's a to win those things. To me, it's still a shallow. To me, if that's what your life's about, I, I think it's a pretty shallow life. You know, like. Because records will be broken. The great fella at the moment, you know, 40 years' time will be another great fella yeah. come along. Like, you know what I mean? And if you, if it's what you really like to do, and some people I say are just proper competitors and they love it, and that's great, you know, and I'm probably not geared like that. I don't <coughs> I don't like, not like to do good, but I'm not a driven competitor like some people. Yeah. You know? Yeah, I still want to enjoy what I'm doing, and and uh, you know, if I go to compete, I'll, I'll I try to win, but it's not the be all and end all of like it's like not like if I don't win, oh that that was buggered, you know. Yeah, like, you know, you know throw all your lollies out. Yeah, to me, it's it's still about the the animals. Yeah, you know, it's still about trying to to produce that top animal, and and uh, you know, I always think you have got a top animal when when you make mistakes and they cover for you yeah that's when you've got a good animal and that's when your balance is right between um you know that pendulum 
you know you know and and that comes from i read in a in a scott lithgow book on working dogs and uh he had um he said in there somewhere well i haven't read it in years book i think i've still got a copy somewhere (coughs) and he said i don't want a dog so intimidated that it won't intelligently disobey and i thought that probably sums up what I've tried to achieve with my horses and with my dogs. And I don't get it right all the time, but that's always, I think if I can get an animal to work like that and the right animal, that means you've got to have a good animal. That to yeah. me, that to me is perfection. It's funny you know, you talking can... about disobe- intelligent disobedience today. And the person I was talking to is like, what? And yeah, but it, it makes perfect sense, right? Yeah. It does. So to me, that describes having an animal thinking for itself. And, and the intimidation part is you basically handling it. You know, yeah. like you, you can be intimidating by making him go here and whistle him and he'll skid to a stop. You know, like, you know, to me, you know, that it's impressive to watch. You know, you run a dog, you know, he goes, but, you know, that's just mechanics. That's all that is, you know, and that's great. That's that's one side of the story. The other side of the story is when you send him and he finds his own distance and and he slows himself up to get control and you haven't you haven't even whistled. Like that's the other side of the story. Yeah. And then it's getting a blend between the two. And you know, a lot of trialing if uh, you know, like a lot of catalog trials now, they're just <clears throat> big yard dog trials like they're done in arenas so you know half the time you, you don't even get to get your dog around behind them you've got to meet them somewhere because they, if they come out and they start coming down you can't you know you're off course by the time your dog goes right around behind them and you know yeah. so so you're just meeting them and steering them basically you know in a lot of the cattle dog trials and it'd be easy to say oh you know should have more work orientated trials and that's good you know, and, and I've done it, you know, one or two like that. Trouble is, that's like trying to get people wrapped up in test cricket again compared to one day as or big batch. Yeah. Unfortunate, but, you know, whether you, you know, I know that there's a lot in test cricket that people don't understand, but a lot of people, you know, they love to go to the big bash. It's a good night out. Oh. And, and trialing gets that way. You're not going to. Well, even the, the sheepdog trialing, like after catalog trialing, it it seems like you've got like a heap of time. It's like every run's 15 minutes or something, 14 or 15 minutes a run. You know, like I think, oh, I'm five away. Shit, I better get ready. And, you know, like in a catalog trial, you know, usually five or six-minute runs at most. So you're 15 minutes away, five in a sheepdog trial. You've got time for a bloody couple of beers and bloody cut lunch before you <laughs> I mean, it's good. I don't mind that myself, the pace, and I know that's how it is. But how many dogs are you going to get through in a day with 15? Yeah, that's right. yeah. well, the same with cutting compared to the camp drafting. You know, like they zip through in the camp drafting, bang, 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 bang. Cutting horse, two and a half minutes to show your horse. We take 40 minutes to settle each herd. Like it's a long day. So, yeah. um, you know, that there's no doubt with the trialing, you know, it, it it's going to be more of a big bash style tournament, which is not, you know, most of the trialing originated from real work. 
but it's not close to it anymore. Yeah. You know? and that's not to say a, a work dog can't be a trial dog, but to be honest, he's going to be better at one or the other. You know, my better, probably the, the dog I've had the most success with as a trial dog, she's, um, well, she wasn't named in the two go-to dogs to go do the job. <laughs> yeah. She'd do it. Yeah. But she's probably, but if you talk about trial dogs and you say you can only take one, she'd be the first one on the ute. Yeah. So. Mate, is there someone that you'd like to sit up, see us sit down and have a chat with on Dog Talk? Yeah, I should have. I read that and I was putting it. There would be, there'd be a few, but um, um, I even think, I tell you, I don't know if you have the. I reckon Craig Irvine would be a good fellow to talk to. Yeah. Beautiful. Cool. Thank you. There's probably a heap of others. I'm not trying to pick on one or the other, but. Oh, mate, you're going to have to think about that and send me a message anytime or give me a phone call. I had a chat, right? Yep. Cool, mate. And, mate, there was a few questions there tonight. Was there a question that stood out for you? Um, and they will win a bag of enduro hind you food for working dogs with real kangaroo, mate. So is it on the amount of questions Nick asked? or <laughs> That's where your statistics come in. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you can read them however you want, you know. <laughs> um, I'll let you choose it. You guys oh, can't do that. We might. Hmm. That would be biased. Sorry? Would just be biased the, if we picked. Was there a particular question? Well, I, I I didn't mind a few of them. Yeah, you know, like um, like probably be, that's a question. Really, yeah, you, you, I, I guess I'm just trying to remember back on them. But that's a question that's almost your viewers. You need to get your viewers to bloody to no seriously because it's what interests them most. You yeah. know, with with the response. Um, you know, I thought it was probably like Joe's question was good about the. Probably for people wanting to breed about the, um, you know, the, the genetics. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I think, you know, but, but I, it, I don't know what everyone's take is on it. Like, it, it's probably something I hadn't, I'd sort of glossed over and hadn't talked about. You know, I, I'd sort of talked around it, I guess. Yeah. And he probably put it a little clearer in saying that. That's all right, mate. It's, it's a question that you like the most. So, Joe Levin, uh, bag of dog food coming your way, mate. Thank you for that. And, Rob, for you jumping on tonight, mate, there's a bag coming your way as well, mate. We really appreciate the time you set aside for us. Yep, that's not a problem, mate. Pleasure. That's all right. Laura's not going to let you get away that easy. One question. Would you rather fight one duck the size of a horse or 20 horses the size of ducks? Well, I guess if I'm going to go down, I'd go down to the horses. (laughs) That's fair enough. (laughs) Plenty of experience, right? I was going to say, yeah. What's 20? Yeah. Yeah, you need you'd need to. I, I don't. I, I did have a little bit of experience with a duck on the pond there the other day that my dog was trying to want a bloody run down on the dam. But uh, yeah, the dog was a bit of a no show. So I, I figure that duck, those ducks can be dangerous. I reckon. <laughs> yeah. I went down there trying to track it down all bloody for an hour, and uh, it'd disappear under the water, and then pop up somewhere else, and then off he'd go after it again. And, uh, I had one do that, and it was swimming in the dam, though. She just kept swimming back and forth. Yeah. I'm thinking, Good you're going to drown soon. Yeah, the dog will drown before the duck gets tired. So, yeah. Yeah. I'll, yeah. I'll take the horses yeah. on that. 
<laughs> I haven't called me yet. Rob, thank you very much for your time tonight, mate. We really appreciate it. Um, to all our viewers um, watching today, thank you very much for, you, for some fantastic questions. There's some questions that came up that we had already spoken about, so um, thanks for that as well. Um, and please remember, we learn every day, and the day we stop learning will be a sad one for all of us. Thank you. No worries. Cheers.